What's going on, ladies and gents? Robert Sykes, KetoSavage.com, and today I have a special guest, Renina Mars, on the line. How are you, Renina? I'm doing great. How about you? I'm great. I'm great. This is going to be good because I feel like we have a pretty similar approach to nutrition and dieting and just the ketogenic diet as a whole. Um, so I'm curious to pick your brain and kind of see where you stand on certain topics. But uh, before we dive into that, I'd love for you to give me a little background on what brings you into the keto space to begin with. Well, um, well, first, obviously, you know, I worked with you in the past, but I was um, keto since 2015. Um, but I've been a keto coach and an admin keto evangelist. Um, and an MPC bikini competitor. Um, I spoke at KetoCon this last year, actually just in June. Um, talked about my experience using straight keto with my bulk and my preps. And I guess my main goal is just to share what I learn with others. But what made you want to dive into keto, like as a as a dieting protocol in the first place? Like I assume you weren't always keto; you were following a traditional carb-based approach at one point? I was, yes. Um, I think just age. <laughs> um, in my late 30s, I really struggled with my weight and couldn't take any weight off. And weight was just creeping on no matter what I did. And um, so keto just, I was introduced to it through a weight loss clinic, actually. And um, once I experienced, you know, what the the lack of cravings and hunger, which I'd never experienced that before, that was that was a big seller for me because um, I'd always struggled with my hunger and my cravings and staying on plan and following a diet. So it made a huge difference for me. And what made you want to step on stage and do a show? I don't know. I think I'm one of those people that probably always thought about it, but I never could put together you know, my eating was on plan and my my um, gym time was off or one or the other. And I just was never very good at being consistent. And um, even after being keto for a while, I was losing and gaining the same 15 pounds, 20 pounds. And um, I just realized, okay, this cannot be like a five day a week diet this has to be a way of life for me. So um, I kind of searched out a bunch of different support groups and Keto Evangelist was one of them. Um, mm -hmm. And that became kind of my go-to spot for information and support. And um, I just kind of became obsessed with learning everything I could about um, what I could do better. And I think I knew right from the get-go, like, I'm not a maintenance mode person. I need to have a goal. So competing was a big part of that. Like, I knew I need a goal. <laughs> and even if it was a scary goal, I needed something to keep me on task. Yeah, there's a lot to be said for that. I think, you know, like, if you're coming from a background of dealing with, you know, a bunch of eating disorders or whatever, just simply maintaining is is not something to be looked down upon at all like having a a break mentally emotionally 
you know, physiologically and psychologically from everything and just being at maintenance is, is a good thing. But for, I don't know, like for me personally and, and from the sound of it, from you as well, it's, it's hard to justify kind of a maintenance mode. It's like you're spinning your wheels and nothing's really changing. I always want to be improving in some form or fashion in a measurable, in a measurable way. Right. I mean, that most definitely is me. Um, I'm practicing maintenance mode right now and eating intuitively, but I actually feel the best when I'm pursuing, you know, a bulk or a, or a cut, you know, then I have a clear goal and I know what to do. Um, where maintenance, it's a little tougher for me. And I don't, I don't think I had you on the podcast after your show, did I? No, nope, I don't think so. So yeah, so let's let's a little recap on that because it was, I mean, it, it was a, it was a while ago now, wasn't it? Yeah, I um, started working with you. This is what I'm thinking somewhere in July of 2017, and then I competed in March of 2018. That's right. And then you helped me work through the reverse, and then I bulked kind of on my own and competed again in May of 2019. But um, you know, I think like a lot of first time competitors, I was so focused on losing body fat. I had never mm-hmm. purposely gone through a bulk. And I think you're set at such a disadvantage by not doing that because your calories are so much lower. You're not starting your prep at a higher level. Um, so it just, and I hadn't, you know, I was working out like I wanted to gain muscle, but I was not eating like I wanted to gain muscle. So, um, so it was good for me. This recent bulk that I went through was eight months long. So that was, that was a, a first time for me being, I think I was 44. First time I've ever bulked. I definitely want to dive into this because this is something that I feel like not enough people are talking about. And this was honestly probably the bulk of my KetoCon discussion was how to, you know, follow a sustainable cutting pro- protocol, but then also a building phase because so many people, especially females, they, you know, desire to lose body fat. So they taper or just, you know, dramatically drop their calories, but then they kind of bottom out and they don't really know how to reverse that from that. So I'd love for you as a female to kind of talk about the importance of that and kind of give some some guidelines as to, to how to go about it. Yeah. I, I mean, I'm like most females, probably you, you maybe could even verbally say, I would like some muscle, but allowing the scale to go up, eating like you want muscle, um, was just a foreign concept for me. So, um, that part of it coming from that lack of knowledge where I was previously just dieting, I'd never been in the bodybuilding situation where I was moving from a cut to a bulk. Um, I think it's just, it was really striking to me to see number one, how a cut really works, that you're not doing one drop of calorie, that it's a gradual thing. Um, And then post-show that you're bringing your calories back up and that you're not remaining in deficit year round. Um, That was a really big thing for me because as most dieters know they just feel like okay I'm gonna eat less and I'm gonna continue to eat that way for the next 17 years 20 years who knows you know 
they mm-hmm. they feel like they're going to maintain that and it's just not going to work. So um, I guess that was the part that really struck me. And I was like, more people need to think about this. <laughs> so everybody's going to be very, you know, individualized when it comes to caloric intake, macronutrient needs. But just for the sake of some context, can you, do you remember what some of your you know, numbers were like as you transitioned into that cut and then reversed that back up to a, a building phase? And as you cut again, like, do you remember what those, what that caloric intake was looking like? Yeah, I probably, you know, in the reverse, um, I struggled a little bit with that initially coming out of my first show, which I think is totally normal. Um, but my hunger was pretty out of control. <laughs> um, so I did struggle with that for quite a while. Um, before my hunger was under control enough. And then I felt like, okay, now I can work into a bulk. Um, but I eat intuitively for a little while. And then I moved into trying to be in surplus. And I estimated my expenditure, my TDEE at somewhere around 2,100 calories. So that was just my target, somewhere between 22 and 2,500 calories is what I targeted daily for eight months. Did you track to see what your increase in body fat percentage was during that time? Um, I did a DEXA initially, and I can't even remember what the body... I think I probably am blocking out what the body fat percentage went up <laughs> to. But it was, um, you know, I didn't totally follow the reverse the way that I should have because I was really struggling with my hunger. So I put a lot of weight on initially. Um and then I was pretty aggressive with my bulk too. Um, so I ended up putting on like 32 pounds from my first stage weight to the end of my bulk. Um, so I don't know how, how much body fat that was, but it was plenty. Um, it was plenty. And, but I also, I mean, I didn't want to limit how much weight I was going to gain because mm-hmm. once once you've already kind of done a little bit of rebounding I was like well I can either cut or I can just embrace this and go all the way and um and bulk so that's what I did um and I didn't want to limit that because I thought well okay that's going to limit how much muscle I can put on too it's a it's definitely an interesting concept when you you work so hard for you know fat loss in a competition prep, you know, you're just counting everything to the T. You're like the epitome of discipline and dedication. Your training's top notch. Your nutrition is flawless. You get down really lean. You look in the mirror and you've, you've just totally changed the way you look. And then once you reach that peak, it, it's a total shift in thinking to reverse diet and be accepting of the body fat gain see that yourself in the mirror and it can tell that you're you're putting on body fat like it's a it's a hard it's a hard bridge to cross but it's it's such an important realization and acceptance that you have to go through because the alternative is not healthy at all right and you know that's how you're going to improve too i would say that i was i was not in love with the lean whereas some competitors you definitely see that they have a really hard time letting go of being lean and i I didn't really feel that way. Um, Maybe a little too far the opposite way where I was like, yeah, let's totally embrace this bulk. Um, 
mm-hmm. but I, I knew that was how I was going to get the muscle. So I, I was okay with that. Um, I was maybe in denial about how much I was putting on, you know, I, I will be more careful this time around, I think, um, just how much I'm going to put on. Um, but I wasn't too worried about taking it back off. I mean, keto is the best. I mean, I felt like I could reach whatever body fat level I needed to. Um, so I wasn't too concerned about taking the fat back off either. What do you feel like the difference is between the start of your uh, reverse diet after your first show versus the second one you've just done? Because it seems like everybody's first show is the hardest, you know, psychologically you get done with it. And then there's literally no context. There's no perspective and your hunger's ramped, ramped up and you just eat and eat and eat. And there's like no into it. Whereas I think, you know, the more shows you do, the more perspective you gain and you recognize that, okay, this is more psychological than physical and I don't need to eat, you know, at nauseum. Um, and there actually needs to be a, a plan in place. I think I knew, I mean, everybody warned me, okay, you got to be really careful about following your reverse. Um, but I think, I mean, this is my theory, just that most beginning competitors, like I said, are never spending time or a significant amount of time in a bulk or in surplus. So where they start their prep is low and then they end their prep at an even lower level than they maybe should have been at to get the progress. And it just makes it so much harder coming out of that show. Um, so even though I wanted to follow it, I it was just like, I didn't know what full was. I just kept eating. So um, anytime I would have a meal, it was really difficult for me to stay on track. Whereas, you know, spending eight months eating in surplus. So I come into my show at a higher caloric level. Um, and then I also included high calorie days all through my my prep as well. So it just made it so much easier to come out of that. I had a better handle on my hunger too. Gotcha. Gotcha. Yeah. You're, you know, 22 to 2,500 calories that you said you're at now. That, that's what Crystal's right now. She's doing a building phase and she's at about 2,500 calories. And, you know, I feel like that, again, this is going to be individualized, but that's a healthy intake for most females. Um, especially if you got, you know, adequate amount of muscle on you, that's, that's like a good healthy intake. And I see so many females, men too, that that are trying to build muscle at, you know, less than 2,000 calories. And then they try to cut down less than 1,000 calories to lose body fat. And it's just not a healthy baseline whatsoever. I mean, I feel like you have to definitely be north of 2,000 calories before you start a prep in, in most instances. Right. And I mean... I'm not a very big person. I'm a five, five female and I don't have nearly as much mass as like a man. Um, and I definitely see adminning in these, in the keto evangelist groups that there's a lot of men that are eating significantly less than I am. And it's like, okay, you are a 200 pound man. You can't be consuming less than me. You know, it just doesn't make sense. What do you feel about like, have you been able to to gauge how much muscle you were able to build in that eight month building phase? Well, I did a DEXA right away, and that was showing um, about a pound a month, 
and my stage weight was um, about 10 pounds heavier. So my goal was to put on about eight pounds of muscle during that eight months. And I think I got pretty close, you know, 10 pounds heavier. And I wasn't maybe as lean as I was the first time. So not all 10 was muscle, but I would say that I got close to eight. So I was happy with that. I feel like that was, I mean, really, if you look at what people are putting on in a standard um, way, that's actually more than what some people are accomplishing that way. So, and that was without carbs, no carb ups, no cycling. I was going to, I was going to wait to talk about that, but, <laughs> but we can dive, dive in right now. Um, so on that note, let's just roll up our sleeves here for a second. We were both on the KetoCon fitness panel at uh, this, this past year's KetoCon. Yeah. And one thing that I found interesting was that here we are at KetoCon, emphasis on the keto, and everybody on that panel, except you and I, spoke very strongly about carb ups, cyclical ketogenic dieting, targeted ketogenic dieting, and here you and I are just as the outliers, not seeming having not seeming to have any issues at all building muscle, and we're not talking about carb ups. What what are you what what's your reasoning behind not carbing up? Um, well. I mean, first, I think you just have to look at why are you keto in the first place? I assume most people have a reason for doing it. And a lot of times it is for weight regulation or health reasons. So, I mean, I just think you have to, there's hardly anybody that's using keto strictly for performance base. And um, I just, I think most people don't even need to go down that road because they know what they're using it for. You don't need to put the carbs in. I've never had a problem with my performance, never had a problem putting muscle on or a pump or any of that stuff. So I, I don't know. Um, I think some of it is, is sometimes just under eating. You know, you still does do carbs maybe make surplus easier, possibly. Um, but I was willing to eat a keto macro and still make that surplus happen. So if you have the, you know, the devotion to it, I guess, um, I don't see a reason why you can't do it, you know? Yeah, I, I totally agree. I mean, and we are definitely speaking the same language in that regard. It, it's, it's been frustrating for me. Actually, let me just preface this real quick. I, I do not have anything against anybody that eats carbs, okay? <laughs> Don't people people like to paint a picture and assume that I'm, you know, speaking negatively towards people that do. That's not the case at all. But I get irritated when I hear people speak negatively about strict keto in the light of your performance is going to suffer if you do strict keto. Like you're not gonna be able to reach your full athletic potential without carbs, which I would argue is completely false. I mean, here you are building eight pounds of muscle a year and what what was your age again, if you don't mind me asking? Pardon? What was your age, if you don't mind me asking? I am 45 now, so 44, and I'm a female. You know, it's, yeah, not exactly the prime <laughs> age yeah. or sex for putting muscle on. So if I can do it, that's, I mean, that's the thing that I'm like, what could some 200-pound, 20-year-old guy do, you know, if I can put yeah. eight pounds on? So. 
that's yeah, that, that's a really good point. I think I'm going to highlight that in the show notes. You know, <laughs> <laughs> underline that because people are not hearing this. Like they're they're the carb ups are the hype right now. Everybody's seeing all the carb up content coming out there, so they just assume that that's the only way to do it and and you know succeed in from a performance standpoint. But that's not the case at all. People just they they always see the grass being green on the other side, and it's frustrating to me. I think it's it, I mean it's hard to let go of that old diet mentality. I mean, if you're into um, cardio, you're thinking about carbs. If you're into bodybuilding, you're thinking about carbs and protein. It's hard to let go of some of that old diet dogma. Um, I didn't come into it with any of that, really. You know, I hadn't competed previously, so I was totally open to whatever. You know, let's see what can happen. Um, and if you have an open mind, I think if you're truly willing to commit to something for a certain period of time to see what happens, I think you'll be surprised. Um, I did pretty much everything you're not supposed to do. I didn't have carbs. I didn't do carb cycling. I didn't use cardio during my bulk or prep. Mm -hmm. I used intermittent fasting during my bulk. Um, I kept my protein moderate during my bulk and my prep. Um, I use high fat for both. Um, and then I use those high calorie days all through my prep too. So like those are contrary kind of to what maybe the norm is. I'm using quotation marks, but I mean, because there is no norm probably, but you're going to see a tremendous variance. But I would say most of the stuff I did was contrary to what you hear. Do you recall what, um, like how often were you? titrating in the the high calorie days was that like a weekly occurrence or bi-weekly it was weekly i did um two to four high calorie days every week from and the beginning I, of your prep to the end yep from the beginning to the end so the beginning like my first week of prep um my low calorie days were really close to my expenditure so you know i'd maybe have three twenty two hundred calorie days and then my low calorie days um, were a little closer to TDEE. So the average, I just kind of looked at like what was the average calorie intake weekly. And I was under 5% deficit the first week of my prep. And at the last week of my prep, I was closer to 25%. So it was similar in the sense that I was gradually dropping my calories but it was a weekly thing um so i still had those high calorie days mixed in what about your your ratios you you mentioned that you you had protein moderate and fat pretty high because i remember when we prepped uh, when you worked with me that first time we did the pretty i mean i think we had you probably at around 80 percent of your calories coming from fat there towards the end was it pretty high the second go around too yeah that I would say I was most of the time I was around 80. Um, so yeah, that that's pretty similar bulk or prep. <laughs> I still keep my, there were a few days where I, I messed around with, um, you know, closer to a one, one ratio. Um, but I like to have, I, I feel like I feel better with higher fat content too. And it definitely doesn't prevent body fat loss. I think that's that's another thing that's hard for people to let go of that they still feel like 
fat is going to make them fat. Um, and just not what I've seen, that's for sure. Um, I posted a picture because you hear it so frequently, you know, drop your plate fat. Um, so I posted a picture that I had a fat bomb and a fatty coffee. And then I had a, I took a picture of my six pack. Um, so I was like, <laughs> here you go. <laughs> yeah, I feel like that's another big uh, controversial topic, especially, you know, within the low carb keto space is this belief that if you consume a lot of dietary fat, your body's not going to be able to tap into its own stored fat, which, you know, for me, I've always made protein my most manipulated variable when trying to lean down. Uh, that's what I do with my clients. That's what we did originally. And that's what you did the second time solo. And do, do you recall what your protein grams got down to? I, um, you know, because I was moving my calories around quite a bit, I didn't move my protein as much this time around. I think they were somewhere between, well, when I checked it, it was um, somewhere between 60 and 80 grams. On, on average or on the low days or high days? That was kind of the low to high. Um, gotcha. So I didn't drop them super, super low because, and I would have if, because I know that I, that I handled that well, but, um, the scale was still moving. And mm -hmm. so I just kind of left it alone, <laughs> but I would have dropped it if I needed to. Yeah. Shoot. If the scale's still moving and you're continually leaning out, then you're doing something right for sure. I think it's, I could have gone a little further, but, um, I definitely pulled the reins a few times because my goal was to lose somewhere around a half to one pound a week. And there were some weeks that I lost three or four pounds. And mm -hmm. I was like, whoa, <laughs> I don't want to lose three, four pounds because I just felt like that might be some muscle there too. So I was, um, that freaked me out a little bit. So I ended up adjusting my macros a few times when that would happen. And in retrospect, I wish I wouldn't have because I would, I, I needed to be a little leaner. So um, I kind of pulled the reins when I should have just followed through with it. I think it would have been a better outcome. What do you think? I mean, do you feel like you've lost, you lost any strength or it's pretty normal to lose a little bit of strength, maybe a little bit of muscle in the course of a prep. But I feel like one of the huge benefits of a ketogenic approach, especially if you maintain a higher fat ratio, is that you're, you know, increasingly muscle sparing as you go throughout the prep, like your body's producing more beta hydroxybutyrate, you're just in a more muscle sparing state. Uh, so I feel like you don't lose near as much muscle as your carb dependent competitors who are keeping calories very low and then not having hardly any, any dietary fat. Right. Yeah. I feel, I don't feel I lost any, I mean, and maybe that's foolish to say that, but I don't feel like I lost any muscle um, because I was eating quite a bit. I wasn't, mm -hmm. I didn't even really look depleted. Um, and that's without carbs because <laughs> that's, that term is kind of associated with being low in carbs, but I'm always low in carb, but I didn't look depleted because I was eating a fair amount. So that tells you that my muscles are filling back up too, you know, just off of what I'm consuming. Yeah. And that's another thing that is, is, um, has got my interest lately is, you know, the more adapted, and I've talked about this on on several podcasts lately, but the more adapted you are, the more efficient you replenish glycogen 
to the point where you replenish it just as efficiently, if not more so efficiently than, you know, carb dependent athletes. So from a, a muscle glycogen standpoint, a training perspective from getting a good pump while you're working out on a ketogenic diet, like all of these, all of these reasons that people argue against keto is kind of nonsensical because you were able to get great pumps, maintain your strength, build, build muscle and fill out for, uh, you know, your competition. Yeah. I mean, that's, those are all the things that you hear for reasons why to add carbs back in. But I, I mean, I think we're in total agreement there that, okay, I'm four years keto. Do you think my body is more adept at replacing that glycogen than somebody who's continually reintroducing carbs? I suspect mm -hmm. that's the case, you know? So um, sometimes you aren't going to know that unless you're willing to commit to it, you know? And see, that's that's something I want to kind of flesh out a little bit further as well, because, you know, both you and I are very deeply keto adapted. We've been strict keto for years on years now, and we, we could definitely consume carbohydrates. And we, would, we would have, quote unquote, metabolic flexibility, and we could get right back to where we, you know, are now without really any issue. However... People have that mindset that have not been near as deeply adapted as we have been, and then they're constantly introducing these carbs, especially with all the stuff that you see on the media these days about how you have to have these carbs, and they're never going to give their body or their brain the time it needs to truly get deeply adapted so that they could be better off with a strict ketogenic protocol. Yeah, and I mean even initially when you're first coming from carbs and you're trying to transition to fat, you have to give that amount uh, and enough time so that you can see what your performance is going to do. Because initially, totally expected that you're not going to feel as good while you're changing your body's fuel. Um, but mm -hmm. if you give it time, it's pretty amazing. You're, I mean, there isn't a single thing that I can think of that our body does that it can't accomplish multiple ways. Um, so even sometimes when our understanding is this is the way that we do this, you know, our body handles it. Um, it's, I mean, it usually has multiple ways it can handle things just depending on what fuel we're giving it. Absolutely. Absolutely. What about from a hormonal perspective and a metabolic perspective with regard to your prep, um, you know, you being a female at the age you are now, a lot of people that they're constantly asking about how hormones are affected with a strict keto approach, especially if you, you know, factor in the the competition prep. Like, how is how is what what have you noticed in that regard? Yeah, that I mean, that one I spend a lot of time in keto groups, and I also spend a lot of time in competitor groups, just paying attention to what I see, um, and in the competitor groups, you see a lot of people struggling with their hormones. And my estimation is just, it's the low fat that has affected mm -hmm. them over time and being in deficit maybe for too much of the time. Um, so I'm always paying attention to that. I Number one, you know, being keto, I'm at an advantage there. I, I do consume a lot of fat. So I think that's, there's nothing more beneficial for your hormone regulation. Um, you see a lot of people, a lot of competitors with low T, um, 
you know, and some of that might be because they're, um, they're supplementing something, but I think some, the other part of it is just that they're, they're eating low fat that affects their cholesterol, which also affects their testosterone, you know? So I think sometimes it's as simple or thyroid conditions. You see a lot of thyroid conditions and I think that can stem back to under eating and low sodium um, for years. So all those things, like I'm consuming salt, I'm consuming fat. I'm making sure that my calories are high at times. I'm making sure that I'm reaching my expenditure or even spending periods of time in surplus. Um, And I intend to do that until I die, you know? I expect to be bulking when I'm 80. So <laughs> I no, know that's that's, a- that's absolutely right. That's the right outlook because I mean you're constantly going to be improving. Like with with a, a protocol like this, when there's a a set time to you know lean down, lose body fat, have more of a focus on autophagy, you know, cell turnover, and kind of like a cleanse, a detox, so to speak, and then transitioning into times of building, um, you know, more muscle tissue growth. And then cycling through those different phases in a healthy manner, not a yo-yo dieting approach, but in a healthy manner, you truly do, you know, I mean, there's no way to quantify how many more, you know, years of life you can add to to your being or just simply the, the quality of those years is going to be exponentially better because you're, you know, pretty much improving on a year-to-year basis. Yeah, I think, I mean, and there's definitely some competitors who are bulking sometimes, but I think you still have to look at your entire year. How much time are you in deficit? How much time are you in surplus? Most, you know, natural competitors are spending a fair amount of time in surplus. And I think that's just so beneficial. Even if, even if you didn't care about the muscle portion of it, um, what it does for your health and your metabolism is so, I mean, I just don't think you can quantify that part of it, you know, and that's the part that I wish people paid more attention to. Yeah, it's honestly pretty sad. I, I get a lot of emails of people asking or, or clients reaching out and they, they want to do a, a show or maybe they've done their first show. They get hooked on the sport, which is great, but then they want to turn around and do another show, you know, in six months. And then it becomes this negative feedback loop of wanting to compete every few months or even, you know, Every year is still a, 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 a kind of pushing it because if you look at it from a natural bodybuilding perspective, when you're not taking any, uh, you know, gear or steroids or train or anything like that, that's going to aid you in leaning out faster. If you're doing it from a strictly natural perspective and you allow your body to get up to a healthy caloric intake to repair metabolism and build muscle tissue, then you're going to be, um, you know, you're going to have some additional body fat. So if you give your, your body the time it needs to lean down, which generally speaking, I would say is between about four and six months for most healthy competitors. So four to six months of prep time. I mean, you're spending half of a year in a caloric deficit. So it doesn't really make sense to spend half a year in a deficit and then hope to gain any adequate amount of muscle in the other six months because it takes you several months to return to baseline. I mean, so it winds up being like you've got three months of a building phase, which just isn't enough time at all. Right. Yeah. Yeah, I think, and yeah, I definitely see people that are consistently trying to compete three, four, five shows every year. And it just, it's, 
there's a ramification for that. I mean, health wise too. Um, and I just think it, it just messes up your whole system. So how do you, how do you psychologically grasp a building phase and a, and a bulk? Like how do you, um, totally embrace the fact that you're going to put on some body fat. You're not going to look as good in the mirror. You're not going to look as, you know, sexy at the pool parties. Like how do you embrace that, uh, you know, mentally and prepare yourself going into it? I think I am completely <laughs> different than most people because like I said, I didn't fall in love with the lean. I actually, when I get lean, I'm more concerned about losing muscle than anything. That's the part that freaks me out. Um, mm -hmm. So when it was time to gain weight, I was totally okay with that. Um, and I, you know, I do understand most people don't want to do that. So, you know, they don't, they're not willing to put 10, 15, 20 pounds on um, in a bulking phase, but I, I do. So I'm always trying to think like, what way could a normal person do this, you know, get the benefit of eating more without having to put quite as much weight on. Um, it's a tough thing because most people will say that they want muscle, but they want the scale to stay the same and they want their body fat to stay the same. And it's like, well, no, you can't do that. You you're going to have to give on one of those things at least and probably both. So I'm really glad you say that because so many people say like when you ask what their goals are, it's, it's almost inevitably I want to build muscle and lose body fat. And it's, it's kind of like, yes, we all want that, but they, they kind of compete for one another. Yeah. And I mean, for me, I totally embrace that concept. Um, just like when I was keto and carbs were no longer a fuel source for me mentally. I never even thought about it. And when it was time to bulk, um, I embraced, I need to eat a lot. I won't say the words that I said to myself, but I said, I got to eat like a mother and train like a mother. Um, and yeah. that's just, it was in my mind, like every day I thought that way. So yes, sometimes I ate probably a little more than I should have, but I mean, I wanted a hundred percent guarantee that I was going to put muscle on. So I just wanted those extra calories available whenever my body needed them. So, um, I totally embraced it. Um, and you know, I wasn't unhappy with the end result, but when I saw some pictures of myself during my bulk, it was a little disturbing because, you know, I went from 112 pounds where before my first competition, which I don't even know the last time I weighed 112 pounds, probably junior high and mm -hmm. turned around and put 32 pounds on. So my first day of prep, I weighed 144.4 pounds. So, I mean, I'm five, five. So that, that's a significant amount of weight on a, on a five, five female. So, um, my husband was totally <laughs> supportive, which was awesome. He was like, you look great, you know? Um, so I didn't feel that bad about it. I have, I, like a lot of people, I guess, you you kind of have to have a, a set of clothes for when you're bulking and a set of clothes when you're cutting. <laughs> so I just, now I have a really large closet with a lot of clothes. <laughs> 
And it's funny. I think there's definitely like a, a healthy spectrum there. I mean, when I look back at my quote unquote bulk before I started keto, I got up to 230 pounds in the off season and I'm five, seven. So I, that's, that's a whole lot of weight for me. Um, and I was probably 30% body fat. I was really strong, but I was just unnecessarily big and I was not healthy. And then I cut down to 153 pounds, I believe. So just a huge, huge range there. And I would argue that that is not necessary, not healthy. I don't think I was building any more muscle as, as a result of that extra weight. However, now that I'm keto, it's much easier for me to maintain a healthy bulk, healthy building phase. Like right now, I'm at about 180 pounds, and that's about as heavy as I'll get in a building phase, 185 probably tops, and then I'll cut down. But I've got a much, I mean, my calories are very high. Like right now, I'm doing 4,000 calories a day, I'm kind of ramping up my metabolism. But I... I have a much healthier range. I feel like I don't think it's necessary to to put on just an obscene amount of weight and justify it as saying I, I'm bulking, I'm building muscle. This is okay. You have to be healthy still. But I do believe that being keto makes that much more achievable in a much more effortless manner. Like it's it's a lot easier to put on a obscene body fat if you're just gorging on you know high glycemic index, heavily processed carbs versus quality nutrient dense ketogenic foods. Right. Yeah. I mean, you want the right kind of weight. And I think some, you know, some of that is going to be improved as I go on. I'm expecting every bulk to be better, you know, because um, mm -hmm. you learn something. And I did plenty wrong during this last bulk. Um, so I'll, I'll make adjustments. Some of those adjustments might be good. Some of them might not be. But, um, you know, I think you just... Whether even if it's not a good choice, you learn something from it, and then from then on, you're gonna you're gonna know what to change. So, um, so yeah, I think you know just the improvement in metabolism over time and more lean mass that's gonna make it easier and easier for me to stay lean in my off season. And I see that with long term competitors, you see women that look like they are stage ready and they're eating 4,000 calories. They're my size, you know, mm -hmm. and it's like, holy crap, how are you, you know, but they've been doing it for a long time. So I think it just gets, you are improving things, you know, improving your metabolism, you're improving your chances of staying lean in a surplus when you have more muscle. So. Absolutely. Totally agree. I'm curious, what does the word balance mean to you? Balance, yeah. I I mean, what I say is the yin and the yang. Um, so I I try to always think about that. If you if you have a week, are you fueling yourself enough days? Are you look at your month, look at your year and think about um, are you giving yourself what what you need? Um, cause I think so many people are just under feeding themselves over, over training and everything else. And, um, I think just schedule wise too, I think most people have a lot of stuff on their plate and it's, they just keep adding more things. <laughs> so yeah. th that kind of goes with 
with food too. They keep taking food away. They keep adding more activity. Um, they're getting up earlier. They're staying up later to get all of this stuff done. Um, so for me, it's just trying to figure out what, you know, what is the balance between all of that. Um, trying to pick out the things that I find are most important and focusing on that um, just increases my chance of being successful at the things that I choose. Totally agree. What about sleep? Let's dive into that a little bit because sleep is obviously very important when you're trying to lose body fat or build muscle and maintain some sense of, uh, you know, healthy metabolism and, and just life in general. So do you do anything for sleep? Do you track your sleep? Do you have any kind of like sleep protocols that you follow? I do not. I've always been a really good sleeper. And um, at the tail end of my bulk, right before my second DEXA, um, I was having a lot of trouble with my sleep. And it turned out to be a magnesium situation. Um, I just wasn't being as diligent about my magnesium supplementing. And um, I ended up, I mean, the DEXA was showing that I was not gaining muscle at the same rate. And the only difference was that I wasn't sleeping. So um, that kind of, it was like, okay, I got to really be careful about the sleep situation. So I, um, I ended up every night I was taking my magnesium and I could tell my sleep quality was way improved. And I've, I just make sure it's a priority. Um, I know not everybody can sleep the same amount of time that I can. Um, cause I, you know, my kids are older and so I don't have a baby waking me up in the middle of the night. And, um, I, my jobs, I am self-employed. I work out of my home. So as long as I'm getting my work done, I don't have to be in at 5 a.m. or anything. So I, I appreciate how flexible that is for me, but I take advantage of it too. So I make sure that I think I'm one of the rare people that actually gets eight hours of sleep a night too. Do you, like, what, what kind of magnesium is it you're taking? Like the magnesium calm? I take um, just a 400 milligrams of citrate. And I know some people do not tolerate that, but um, I do okay with it. So, and it's, it's absorbed well. So that's the reason that I went with that one. Do you try and keep the, like the bedroom at a certain temperature? Um, I, you know, it, when I'm cutting, <laughs> I'm always cold. And when yeah. I'm bulking, you're hot as heck. So it kind of depends on the season and where I'm at, how I'm eating, you know, that is so remarkable. I, cause you know, Dr. Fung always talks about your thermostat and it is so true. Like when I'm eating a lot, I am hot. And cause you know, you're burning extra calories. <laughs> your body's mm -hmm. like, well, let's get this moving. Um, so it kind of depends, but I try to go through the same routine every night. Try not to use my phone too late. You know, the blue screen thing, um, do a little reading before bed. Um, just going through the same routine helps, but I'm, I've always been one of those people, like I go to sleep instantly. So, um, 
my husband was always jealous of that because he's like, how can you go to sleep so fast? But um, it just must be genetic. Shoot, I'm, I'm jealous too. I'm going to start putting an emphasis on that though. Like, I, I don't take any pride in how little I sleep, but I'm going to start actually focusing on sleeping more. And I just don't care what the repercussions are. Like, I, I mean, I, I do care. Like, I want to obviously make sure I get all my stuff done, but I feel like my training is going to, you know, definitely improve if I make sure I'm getting adequate sleep. Um, you reminded me though, with regard to your meals, whether you're bulking or cutting, did you ever put any emphasis on meal frequency and timing? Like, were you having meals every X number of hours or had you set that up? I actually use intermittent fasting during my bulk, um, which maybe sounds strange to some people, but, um, I was hoping for the HGH raise every morning, even if it was minimal, I just thought it might be beneficial. Um, and I have a huge appetite, so I'm able to eat my, I can eat in surplus with two meals, no problem. Um, I could probably push myself and eat in surplus in one meal if I wanted to, but, um, but two was really manageable for me. And, um, so what I ended up doing was eating my lunch and then I'd work out like maybe two o'clock, three o'clock, and then I would eat supper, um, usually kind of early, sometimes four, between four and five would be my last meal. And then I would fast through breakfast again the next day. So you're, you're basically having lunch as your first meal. Are you right. having like a, like a fatty coffee or any kind of calories at all until then or just water? Nope, just water and black coffee, um, which I may attempt to remove that part of it too. But um, so far, I like my coffee. Usually, if I would have a fatty coffee, I would include it in my meal. Um, so I would have a fat bomb or, or a fatty coffee with my lunch to round out my macros. Because um, I, you know, when I was bulking, I, I needed to eat a fair amount of calories. Well, that's in a lot of it fat. So um, I needed five, six fat sources every meal to hit my mm -hmm. macros. So um, you get pretty good at it. But when I'm eating intuitively, I just automatically know I'm not hitting my fat grams. I know it. Um, so I consider any intuitive day as a deficit day automatically because I know I'm not hitting my fat grams and you know that's how I hit my calories because I'm not eating that many carbs and my protein is pretty moderate so um, it's just automatically low low calorie if you're if I'm not hitting those fat grams. What are your protein grams at on average during a, a building phase? Like, do you have like a, a certain um, like calculation, like one gram per kilogram of lean body weight or anything like that? I probably fall into the Finney and Volek thing with the lean mass somewhere between 0.6 and 1.0. But I would, um, I was usually in my bulk between 80 and 100. Um, and I'm sure I had some high days, you know, where you eat a porter house or something like that. But I mean, most of the time it was somewhere between 80 and 100. 
All right, so tell me what all you've got planned for the future, whether it be another competition you've got lined up or what's what's new and exciting for you going forward? Well, I will for sure be spending some time bulking, put a little muscle on, but um, I don't have any shows picked out in the future, but I'm guessing something in 2020 I'll try to compete again. Um, there's actually a new division I compete MPC bikini and there is a new wellness division, which is in between bikini and figure. Um, mm -hmm. So I'm kind of interested in that. They just released the criteria, um, but it's a very lower body dominant um, look. So that's not my natural look. So I would need to probably put a lot more muscle on. <laughs> um, it's it's really, you know, large quads, hamstrings, glutes, uh, and the upper body mm -hmm. is more like a figure look. So kind of a mix. So it's it's in between bikini and figure, in between figure and physique? It's in between bikini and figure is what they say. Um, but I would say the lower body looks bigger than a figure girl. Um, but interesting. It's it's new in the U.S., but it has been going on um, in Brazil, and I think there's maybe some competitions in Europe too. But it's it's really popular in Brazil. So um, just I think I like the look, but enormous quads and hamstrings and glutes. Um, so I I think it's a cool look. I just don't know if it's um if I'm set up for it <laughs> genetically. That may not be my look, but um but I'm kind of interested in it anyways because I think you kind of reach a point where I mean bikini it's it's a limited amount of muscle. So if I keep trying to put more muscle on and what I like is more muscle, I'm not going to necessarily fit into bikini forever either. No, it's it's definitely, I mean, it's interesting, like the different classes and divisions, especially as you go through the different federations, like it's it's interesting how you can kind of target your training and development, you know, to fit a certain class. I'm going to have to look into this one for sure. I've not heard, uh, you said it's called the wellness yep. division? Yeah, I can send you a link. It's, it's kind of cool, brand new. Um, so... It'll be interesting to see, you know, because you put a verbal criteria down. It's it's nice to actually see some of the winners um, mm -hmm. and see what they're looking like, too, because maybe I'm thinking they're going to be lower body dominant and they're not going to be quite as much as I think they are. Um, but I would say a lot of the Brazilian competitors are pretty... Um, <laughs> they're pretty lower body dominant. <laughs> yes, they're very lower body dominant. So yeah, um, but and and not quite as low a body fat too, which is the part that I like. Um, you know, when you're figure, you have to be leaner, and mm -hmm. I just for for me, I prefer to keep a little more body fat. Um, so it's just easier. <laughs> it's easier long term, and I think it's a little. A um, little easier on your on your body too to do that. Yeah, definitely, definitely. 
Well, that's exciting. I'm I'm curious to check check that out, and I know you'll do outstanding whatever division you wind up doing because you you have the right approach to your building phase and your cutting phase. So I'm excited to see what what the future holds for you. Yeah, it's exciting. I mean, I just enjoy the process, and you have to because yeah, I absolutely. Mean, look at you. You've been you know when you when you're spending so much of your time um improving your physique and you're you're not walking across the stage every week it's it's so rare um so i think you have to enjoy the everyday part of it um you can't just enjoy um the competition day otherwise Absolutely. It's, it's not going to work but um yeah i I would, it's maybe hard for people to understand that um, there's a little suffering going on there too, but it's still enjoyable because you didn't give up. You um, learned something and you persevered. You were disciplined. All the things that I thought I wasn't, um, I've developed those habits and, and skills. Um, that's the part that I've enjoyed. You know, it, it's funny you say that because I, I look at bodybuilding as a as an outlet and as a tool to improve upon your current being on all fronts, you know, physically, obviously, but then also, you know, mentally, emotionally, how, how you have perspective in life. I mean, there's so many symbolisms between life and, you know, a competition prep, a building phase, a cutting phase. There's just so many similarities. And I grow as a person every time I go through a prep and you know, the same is true, same is true for you. I mean, the, you learn so much more about yourself and what you're capable of and you can take those principles and those lessons and then carry them over into your day-to-day -day life. So for me, it's just a, it's a great tool to just continually become a better person. And I think when you look at it in that regard, and you approach it in that regard, it, it just makes it that much more sustainable, that much more fun because you know you're improving on so many more fronts than just how you look in the mirror. Yeah, it's, I mean, I've had to adjust my, my time frame, um, just the patience that it requires. When you look at people who have spent 15, 20 years just daily doing little things that is that is going to lead to improvement i mean it puts it into perspective you stop thinking about things in terms of how many days until i reach my goal how many weeks it's more like how many years is it going to take me to do this um and that's acceptable that's that's okay you know once you once you make peace with that <laughs> And that's, I mean, that's honestly the whole premise of the concept of mastery. You know, once you've found something that you can chip away at day by day by day and know that you're getting, you know, just ever so slightly better, you know, day after day, that, that compounded over years and years and years, that's how you become a master at something. And honestly, that's, that's the same way I look at my nutrition. Like I look at the ketogenic lifestyle as a, as a way to, as an outlet for that way of thinking as well. Like I'm not trying to, you know, cheat the system. I'm just continually staying strict keto year after year after year and my body continues to get better at it. So there's a another parallel there. Yeah, I wish, you know, because I entered this late in life. 
Um, and I just can't imagine where I would have been if I would have started when I was 20. Um, but you can't really think about that. You just have to go forward from where you are currently. Um, yeah, I wish I would have gotten involved when I was 20. Um, I think I would have a different outlook. I would have had a different outlook earlier in life, um, and it would have served me well. But um, all you can do is improve upon where you're at right now. Well, I have no doubt that you're getting continually better. I mean, the that's the beauty of this sport. I mean, you, you get better with every year that passes. There's no like cap on it. And I'm excited to see where you take it because you have the right outlook. You have that long game approach to it. And that, that's exciting to see for sure. Yeah. Um, and I really appreciate the fact that you are the way you are with regard to your stance on nutrition, the ketogenic diet. I mean, it, it's nice and refreshing for me to speak with somebody that knows what they're doing, knows what they're talking about, has seen success with it. And they're not trying to, you know, take any shortcuts or cheat the system, but having a, a long game approach to nutrition, their training, their objectives in life. It's just, it's, it's inspiring and it's refreshing. So keep doing exactly what you're doing. Thank you for all of the help. I mean, you made such an impact on me when I was first trying to find a coach. I couldn't find anybody who would do it keto until I ran into you. I ran across your name and, um, I mean, just learn so much from you. Um, and I just, I mean, obviously I wouldn't have worked with you for as long as I did if I did not agree with you. Um, but it's just same thing. I just like to see somebody who thinks along the same lines and, um, is sharing that message so that that voice can be heard too. Well, it was an absolute pleasure working with you then. And like I said, it's exciting to see where you take things going forward. I mean, if there's ever anything I could do in any way, definitely don't hesitate to, to reach out because I'm happy to help. I appreciate that. Thank you. Absolutely. Well, where can people go to find out more about you and, you know, work with you if they're interested in coaching? Just uh, where are you active on social media and, and coaching and what are your platforms? I'm on um, Keto Evangelist Coaching. There's a link. You can sign up through that. Um, there's a variety of coaching options. And then I'm also on Facebook under Keto Renita and also on Instagram, Keto Renita, but I am old. So my Instagram is lacking a little bit. I got to get better at that. But um, you can definitely tell somebody's age by which platform they prefer. <laughs> and I am, <laughs> I am a Facebook girl because, you know, I'm 45. So, um, but I'm working on the Instagram part of it. Very cool. Well, I'll certainly link out to those. People can find you, reach out and follow along. Renita, it's been an absolute pleasure. Again, I can't thank you enough. I appreciate your time. And I will certainly be in touch because I'd like to see where you're going with things. Thank you. Have a great one. You as well.